Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. So my first question is, why in the hell don't the Rams have indoor plumbing? This is the Press Box. You're not at a great point in your life when you have to take a dump in a porta potty, right? True. That's not a great day for you. With Grainy and Bischoff. Shove it in. Someone from the Hard Knocks took a dump in the porta potty. <laughs> like, they immediately blame the media. Like, we get blamed for everything. It's fine to blame us for, like, if you want, you think we're negative, but we got to draw the line that we're taking the dumps in the porta potty. No. At that point, I draw the line. Drawn lines all over the place. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Danny. Jared is bow fishing somewhere. That's right. Middle of nowhere, Missouri. <laughs> what is bow fishing? I don't know. You take a bow and arrow <laughs> and you shoot a fish. I assume, it, there's a, I assume there's a string attached to the arrow so you don't lose the arrow mm-hmm. and the fish. Yeah, you use a, I believe it's a compound bow. Exactly oh. how he said you tie the line to the bow, you shoot it out. You try to hit no the fish. chance he's hitting an yeah, actual no, fish. No. I, I hope he does because I, I told more, him to bring me back some. I think he's more like a his own foot than an actual fish. What if he does hit his foot? <laughs> so this isn't like catch and release. I guess if you hit the fish, I don't think no, if you I hit it with a barrel, I don't think you, if you hit the fish with the uh, with the bow, it's a uh, catch and release. You're taking the fish. I I don't think it can be released back. <laughs> I mean, it could. Take, well, it's just going to go straight to the bottom. <laughs> it's not moving around very much after that. So I no chance he's hitting one. He'll come back and say he did. Have you shot a bow and arrow before? Yes. It is incredibly difficult. Yes, yes. I'm maybe these are easier, designed to be a little easier to shoot, so you can, you know, you gotta hit a little small fish in the in the water. But shooting a bow is incredibly difficult. Yeah. There's like no chance I don't think he can hit one unless he's like a secret bow master that he's never <laughs> told us about. Well, I'm I'm doubting that. <laughs> but he was a tailor at one point. Oh, that's right. He was a tailor. I forgot about that. He has like that. 17 weird jobs he's worked yes, in the Yes, that past. is right. Maybe he has sh- shot a bow and arrow more than we think. And for some reason, he doesn't like talking about when he was a tailor. Really? It's like the one that he's got no problem telling the story about getting kicked out of Waffle House. But you bring up, hey, you were a tailor once. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It's what weird. What kind of suits did he mess up? Who knows? So. Well, you won't be wandering outside our window here. Well, yeah. uh, you don't want to be wandering you outside the window. <laughs> you never know. The first bite. Is Floyd Mayweather going to bring NBA to Las Vegas? Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, Floyd Mayweather. Who? All right. Who is Floyd talking to? I, I want know. to know who Floyd might be talking to in terms of he has an inside track on bringing an NBA team to Las Vegas. This is uh, the quote in the Review Journal this week. Floyd Mayweather said, I've been talking to certain individuals for the last six months. That's something I've been working on behind the scenes, but I never came out and publicly talked about that with the media. Me and my team have been working behind the scenes with the NBA. I can't say exactly where, but I'm working on getting a team. Yeah, who has he been talking to? I don't know. I I mean, you know, he's a famous boxer. I'm sure he's got some people that uh, know people in high levels. But, I mean, I this surprised me. The LeBron thing didn't surprise me. And I don't even know if LeBron's been talking to anybody. And this LeBron James. So... I don't know how much we should trust just Google searches of people's net worth, but Floyd Mayweather, according to a Google search, his net worth is $460 million. 
that's not even close no. to being like an uh, an owner of an well, team. LeBron's a billion, and he he and would he, need help. Right. He would he, need help from people. So the idea that Floyd Mayweather is going to be an owner of an of an NBA team, like maybe Floyd Mayweather is the like celebrity minority right. owner, the Magic he's, Johnson of the Dodgers. He's got. A three percent stake right. in an NBA team and, and front row tickets, and you get to say, "Hey, Floyd Mayweather's a part of the ownership group, right?" Alex Rodriguez is that. I think he's got more than three percent, but Alex Rodriguez is that with the Timberwolves now, right. right? He's not the primary or majority owner. He partnered with I can't remember the guy's name, but he partnered with somebody else who has a lot more money than him. That's what Floyd Mayweather would yes. be in the scenario, and probably even less than that because again. When we're talking about an NBA team, $460 million, that's Floyd's net worth. Doesn't get you fake Clay Thompson. Right. right. It does not get you fake Clay Thompson. I mean, it just <laughs> so, doesn't. Like, LeBron James, his net worth is reported at a billion dollars right. now. That's still the expansion fee if Las Vegas and Seattle get a team are going to be three, four, maybe more than that billion dollars. Right. Billion. And Floyd Mayweather's not even at one billion net worth. It's just it's not even at half a billion. Right. So it's just like, yeah, that's that's not going to be a realistic thing. So I do wonder if maybe we should put some legitimacy towards this Floyd Mayweather comment as a, hey, there are people forming ownership groups, and Floyd that's who Floyd Mayweather's been talking to. Not that he's been talking to Adam Silver about, hey, give me the team, but that he's been talking to potential ownership groups that he would join, and it'd be, hey, you know, LeBron James, Floyd Mayweather, some other famous person are all combined with this rich dude and they're buying or they're bringing an expansion team to Las Vegas or whatever. I, I think that's a legitimate possibility. That's a possibility that he knows people with a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, that that's he would know people with a lot of money. And then he would be like, I've got so many million dollars. That's going to be worth five percent, whatever right. that number is. Right. And I'll be a part owner and be at the games and all this. They'll be like, well, Floyd, you can't bet on him when they're there if you're an owner. But <laughs> <laughs> he might be what out. If boner, what if uh, he was uh, hold, holding the uh, betting strips, up, <laughs> betting slips up in the middle of the game? Sitting courtside? I yeah, don't doubt it. Huh? <laughs> I don't doubt he would do that. No. Bronny, I've got you over 28 and a half points. <laughs> Let's go, Bronny. together. <laughs> you are in high school last year. Let's go. Be great. So Mayweather, as a majority owner, basically no chance that that would happen. The other part that I thought did think was interesting. He said, I can't say exactly where. So there's a chance this has nothing to do with Las Vegas. There's a chance this is, he's trying to buy into the, I don't know, the Charlotte Hornets or something. Like it could just be a random NBA team that he's becoming a minority owner of. That could be a case too. But it's certainly given, given what we heard from LeBron, given all the talks of expansion, or even though Adam Silver shot it down, or relocation, it certainly, you know, makes you look up and say, oh, another person saying they want to bring an NBA team to Las Vegas. What's probably more important news on Vegas getting an NBA team is that the Oakview group announced Mark Bedane was officially mm-hmm. the president, president of their sports Sports venues. entertainment or sports venues. So the Oakview group, that is the group that Tim Lewecki is leading that is going to build a casino and 20,000-seat arena on Las Vegas Boulevard south of the Strip by the premium outlet malls, right, kind of right where 215 and I-15 intersect. That is the group that we've probably talked about having the most legitimacy towards helping getting an NBA team to Las Vegas. The interesting detail, though, is that Tim Lewecki has said 
he can't be the owner of an NBA team. He would own the arena or his group would own the arena, but he can't be the actual owner. So if they build this casino, build this 20,000 seat arena that would be ready for an NBA team, the NBA says we're putting a team in there. They would still apparently have to find an ownership group that is not Tim Lewecki or Oakview group. Now, Tim Lewecki does know people with money. He does. <laughs> he does. He's uh, worked for quite a few different teams yes. in both the NBA and the NHL, I believe, right. and has helped uh, get stadiums and teams before. So he is he is the name with the most legitimacy that has ever been mentioned about expansion or relocation in Las Vegas and the NBA. So that's the and this one. This is no public money, right? Supposedly, that's not going to be public money. I don't know that they've actually put out their plans. I don't. I mean, does it even end up getting built? It sounds like they want to do it, but it's not like it's not like they've broken ground yet. Right. So who knows? Could be Jackie Robinson in the All Net Arena again, where uh, we broke ground, and seven years later we broke ground again. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie's broken a lot of ground. So here's. I guess my question, if we if we get into the future and let's say the NBA does eventually decide to expand and Seattle would be a lock, granted, I guess five years from now, things could change, but Vegas largely considered a favorite to get the second team, but not by any means a lock. Do you think there would be multiple different ownership groups competing oh. for the expansion? Team? Oh, yeah, I do. I think it's a an enticing market to a lot of people. I mean, it's not, you put it last week, what are we, the 40th media market? So we're not like a huge media market, but Vegas now having the NHL, the NFL, and kind of being that sports capital that, you know, it never once was. I think there'd be more than one, one ownership, at least wanting the team. Yeah. There, there are two groups in Seattle that want a team. So there's multiple that would want it in Seattle. I'm curious what would happen here. Uh, would there be basically enough people, enough of the like singular rich guy who's like, okay, come on, Floyd, or come on, LeBron, you can be a minority owner. Are there multiple of that guy to come in and say, I want to put a team in Las Vegas? And if so, would the NBA effectively get to bid them against each other for the sure. expansion fee? And sure. say, okay, well, how much are you going to give me? Right. And, and say, what's your arena plan or whatever? Maybe it's this arena plan. Maybe they have something this else. This arena plan mind. makes the most sense, by the way. I think it does. The, the I mean, one, they don't want to. They share a lot of uh, NHL arenas, but I don't think that's their preference. No, they prefer to have it to their, themselves. They also prefer that the owner of the NBA team owns the arena, which would be the interesting part of this new one that the Oakview Group is building. If the Oakview Group builds this but can't be the owner of the NBA team, how does that work exactly? Because the NBA prefers that they own the arena, not be a tenant or rent it out. So. That'd be a curious thing to see what happens. I assume they'd be able to figure that out. Uh, I assume, uh, we again, the Tim Lewecki thing that we've talked about, I'm making the assumption without ever, ever having met the guy, just based on his past, that he would not build a 20,000-seat arena off the strip without getting an NBA team mm -hmm. because there is so much competition for that size venue in this city that it doesn't make any sense to build another venue of that size off the strip and just, yeah, we're just going to compete for concerts or whatever events with all these other venues that are between 10 and 20,000. Right. It's just, that'd just be stupid to do that. But if you knew you were getting 41 NBA home games a year, then it makes a lot of right. sense to do that. So that one I think is ultimately. Well, I think we he's like you said, 
if you look at his past, he's by far the most legitimate name we've heard right. in any of this. Oh yeah, including LeBron and Floyd or any yeah. of these guys. He is he's done. He's he's built these he's built these facilities that house professional teams. And if we, I'll, I'll tell you this: if we got a story like right now or any time in the future that said Tim Lewecki has partnered up with LeBron James, I'd say we're getting a team, and it's a it's a done deal at that point. Like if I heard those two people were linked together, together, I'd be oh yeah, we're getting a team. It's it's done as done as it could be. But what if he's looking Floyd, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> make it happen, Floyd. Again, it's Floyd's going to have to back out because he can't bet on it, right? Yeah, I don't, does Floyd know he can't bet? On I don't it? think he does. <laughs> like he's gonna he's gonna have to he's gonna get all the way into this process and then be like, all right, he's gonna sign something, start signing something, that says no gambling yeah. on the NBA. Like, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> I can't what? do this. Oh, I'm out. I'm out. What else am I gonna do to entertain myself? So that's what uh, we're probably gonna get is Tim Lewecki. Somehow getting the NBA to Vegas, but somehow also not owning the team. Coming up next, the Colorado Avalanche took game one of the Stanley Cup final. McKinnon swats it for Landeskog below the goal line. Ranton and shoots. He scores! Tipped in front by Arturi Lekkinen. It's a work of art. Marches to the right corner. Right point, Sergachev. Sergachev. Shoots! Down the middle, Comfort holds, shoots, it's blocked. Nachushkin with it, Burakovsky, he scores! Andre with a giant goal! And you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because this party is over! Colorado wins game one in overtime! It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. That's what Andre. we say every day at 10. You don't have to go home. <laughs> but you athlete, this party's over. Andre with a giant goal is uh, yeah. quite a good call. Yeah. I think that one's very good. Uh, Avalanche took a one nothing lead on Tampa last night. They won in overtime at home in game one. How much blame does Andre Vasilevsky deserve well, for game one? A couple softies in the first rallied in the second and third periods. I thought Colorado was just so much better. No matter what, I thought, you know, all their numbers were so much better that I'm not going to give him full blame, but he let in a few that he doesn't usually have had, had a had a bad first period. So going, in, bag. going into this series, he's a meat bag. The number one area in which the Lightning were supposed to have an advantage over Colorado and that, was goaltending. Right. It was Vasilevsky versus whoever, Kemper, Kemper Francis, whoever Colorado had to put in that. Andre Vasilevsky last night was overall fine, right? Colorado's expected goals was 3.5. He gave up four, like overall fine. But he's got to be better than fine. You give up two soft goals in the first period. That cannot happen, right? If Tampa's going to win this series, it's going to be because Andre Vasilevsky is the best player on the ice for a couple of games, if not more than that. And then what was actually, I think the worst was the overtime goal. And it wasn't entirely Vasilevsky's fault. There was a turnover, right? But it was uh, Valeri uh, Nishkinen has the puck after a block shot and he passes across the ice Mm -hmm. to Burakovsky for some reason. After the pass was made across the ice, Vasilevsky goes into a butterfly thinking Nishkinen shot the puck when in reality it was going across the ice. So the net was wide open because Vasilevsky had no idea where the puck was. 
He lost the puck in overtime, and Colorado scored because of it. Now, again, not entirely his fault. There was a turnover. It was a three-on-two. But he just completely lost the puck. And Colorado's going to have some three-on-twos, and they're going to have some... Tampa's going to have some turnovers. Vasilevsky can't let that go in. He's got to make those saves. So it's from the... From the expectation that Vasilevsky has to be the, the reason player. Tampa wins, he's the reason right. they lost last right. night. But as your point was, Colorado's better than this team. Yes. Colorado's better than Tampa yes. Bay. And like when we look back on it, Vasilevsky can play well and Tampa still, still lose, lose the series. Still losing five games. Right. I mean that, that happened last round with Tampa and New York. Shesterkin was great in that series. Right. And Tampa Tampa's still better. Still won four straight in that series. So it's just depending on what sort of bar you're holding Vasilevsky to. If you're just expecting him to be an average goalie, last night was fine. If you're expecting him to be the reason well, Tampa wins, last night is nowhere close. Is he, to if he's win. average, it could go four. at the most four or yeah. five. Like, oh yeah. If that's yeah. if that's what you get out of Vasilevsky, I don't know that Tampa, Tampa wins a game win. because here's okay. Colorado last night had a higher expected goals in every single period. Mm-hmm. There was not one single period they played last night where Tampa had a higher expected goals. Colorado's top two lines expected goals percentage last night, 72% and 90%. When their top two lines were on the ice, they were unbelievably dominant. The best line for Tampa, meanwhile, fourth was the Belmore line. Like yeah. that was the only one that had like a legitimately good expected goals. And like we talked about a lot when Belmar was here. They're playing eight or nine minutes at five on five. They're not really producing a lot of offense. They're just not giving much up, right? right? That's not going to win you a hockey game. It's just not going to happen. So I, based on that game and Colorado's now, they've lost two postseason games the entire time with their, their three wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. This team seems way too dominant to actually lose this series. Yeah, especially I mean four games. I don't see it. They they like you said they dominated in every stat uh, uh, category last night. Uh, they showed after the game all the shot attempts and and everything, and they they had they're in first place and everything. Yeah, it's and it, it wasn't particularly close in that in that first game. Boy, now it would have been good for them to steal it though. So it's it's very similar to the conversation we had after I think it was game one of Colorado St. Louis, where it was a close game. Colorado outplayed St. Louis and Colorado won in overtime. And we were like, oh, that was probably St. Louis's shot. Like yeah, if they that had, their, that if they had stolen that game. Because here's the thing. St. Louis did it a couple of times. Tampa's going to outplay Colorado at some point. Like they're going to have a game where they're much better than Colorado. It it happens. And you've got to win that game. But they're probably not going to outplay Colorado four, four times, times in seven games. Right. Which means you have to win a game in which Colorado outplayed you. You've got to steal one. That last night, the last one. That they had that chance. Yeah. Colorado was better. Tampa was still one shot in overtime yep. from winning that, and they did not get it done. And they had done. some chances there in overtime yeah. to begin overtime. And so that feels like we're going to look back and say that's that's pretty much where this series was decided because whatever, over the next two games, Tampa will probably outplay Colorado once. They'll win a game, but Colorado will win the other, and it's 2-1. And you look back and say, oh, Tampa could be up 2-1 yeah. themselves if they had stole that game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think this series is, is going to be Colorado. And until Vasilevsky steals one, it might not be a particularly long series. Um, I've got one hockey is dumb point for you that I've, I don't think I've I don't think I've uh, had this hockey no, is have. dumb point. I've had a lot of hockey is dumb points, but one of the funniest rules in sports is the double minor in hockey if a player is bleeding. Last night, Braden Point got a uh, high stick to the right. face. It's a two minute penalty for high sticking. 
But the ref goes over and starts inspecting Braden Point's face. And Braden Point's like got to show him his teeth and like whatever. Because if he's bleeding, it goes from a two-minute minor to a four-minute double minor. And I think it is one of the funniest rules that if you bleed, if you draw blood, your opponent's punishment gets doubled. It's like one of the funniest things ever. Like imagine in football, oh, he's bleeding so that 15-yard well, personal foul is now 30 a, yards. There would be a personal foul on every play. Right. But if, imagine if the penalty yard is just always doubled if a guy had blood in football, right? It's like, oh, if you hit a, if you hit a batter at the plate in baseball, but he starts to bleed, he gets second base yes. too. It's a hit by pitch to second. Like it's the... It, I can't think of another sport where we arbitrarily double the punishment because if, there's blood. If the guy's bleeding, like I mean, it seems at like at that I'm, point, if I get hit in the face and there's no blood, I'd hit my face. I hit myself right? in the face. I would just punch myself really quick, and they'd be like, "Wait a minute, there's blood. There's blood on my teeth." Like it is a benefit as a hockey player to, to bleed, bleed easily. Like that's a massive benefit for you if you can bleed easily. And I just. Like, it's just one of the funniest things. Like, yeah, we got to inspect this guy to see if he's bleeding. And if he is, that guy for Colorado's got to sit in the box for two more minutes. It's just, I can't, there's no, there's nothing else that does that. I mean, we, we have referees that react to players like injuries, right? A guy goes down hard and they might call a foul they weren't going to call. Flagrant one, flagrant two, whatever it is. But that's just more the referee, the human element of the referee being like, oh, that looks bad. This right. is a legitimate rule, not a in human, book. not a human like reaction. This is just a legitimate rule to: Does he have blood? All right, it's four <laughs> minutes. It's great. Who? I don't even know why did that even come up with in the first place. Why who were they like that? Yeah, who was like, well, if they're bleeding, we really yeah, we got to really, that guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, who thought that? Who thought of that in the first place? It was like, ah, that's a good idea. Put that in the rule book. We'll be the first one. You could to do have a that. book of hockey dumb things. Oh, there's plenty of them. Oh, there's so many. It's incredible. This might be one of the dumbest, though. It is. I mean, this is this is pretty stupid. This is dumb. Uh, the other is like just the general idea that you can't have a puck go in off your skate if you do any sort of kicking motion, which is like, well, who cares, right? That's more impressive than using your stick half the time, right? All goals should count. If you pick it up and can throw it past the goalie, <laughs> that should count. <laughs> Why would that not count? Like, it's there's so many just dumb rules. Like that would be harder. If you picked it up to throw it past the goalie, hell, that'd be great to see. That'd be actually pretty funny. Right. If you could throw it past the goalie, that'd be fun. So, yeah, a lot of dumb stuff in hockey. Coming up next, John Von Tobel joins the show. Jalen isolated with Steph Curry. Right-hand dribble drive. Falls down, but he's able to get it out to Tatum, who rocks another three. Got it! It's a two-point game. Timeout, Steve Kerr. Three seconds to work with. Wiggins has it at two, at one, pool three. Banked it in! He banked it in! A left wing, 28-footer from Jordan Poole gives the Warriors the one-point lead at the end of three. Clay Thompson, right wing three. Yes, sir! Clay Thompson's got 21! The lead equals the largest of the night at 16. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. You can hear him over on VSIN, also right here on ESPN Las Vegas. It's John Von Tobel. Follow him on Twitter at MeJVT. All right, John, help me out here. How can the Boston Celtics be good enough that they are two wins away from an NBA title but have games this entire postseason where they look so bad? You know, before I answer that, do me a question. When you figure it out, tell me because I, <laughs> I like I don't know. <laughs> it's 
it's really, I keep calling them like self-inflicted wounds. And we know that, the, so the record, they commit 16 or more turnovers in the postseason game, and they are now 1-7 in those eight games. They commit fewer than 15, what, 15 or fewer. They're 13-2. and two. You know, That's where you start. It's turnovers. Uh, how about free throws? In that game, they missed 10 free throws. They were 21-31 at the free throw line. We, you know, you have Celtics fans and others complaining about the officials in that game. They got every opportunity to be a lot better in that game, and they didn't. It's it's so weird because you're right. Like when you see them and they're on, and we've seen it hasn't been very frequent in this series, but you saw it in the fourth quarter of Game One, you saw it in Game Three, and you saw it in the third quarter of that last game when they're playing at their best, when they're moving the basketball, when they're driving and kicking and getting aggressive and finishing within four feet of the basket and hitting their shots. They're a really good team, and they're still playing very good defense. They again the other night played really good defense. It just all centers around this offense, the weird lackadaisical play of their ball handlers and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. And I will say, like, the Warriors deserve a ton of credit. You know, they went from, they were switching pretty willingly in the first four games, and all of a sudden they busted out the strategy that they used against the Mavericks, which was anytime somebody brought some guy, Steph Curry's guy over, they would hedge a little bit, they'd allow Curry to sit there, but then he'd scram back to his guy. And they weren't giving up that switch to Steph Curry anymore. So the Celtics were burning a majority of their shot clock trying to go after Curry. That wasn't really working. You know, they were so physical and on the point of attack with almost every single one of those ball, uh, ball handlers. They're forcing Jalen Brown to his left where he's not comfortable. They're doing a lot of really good things, the Warriors. And that's not to take away anything they've done, but it's hard to look at a team that scored 103 points off of turnovers in this series and the Warriors and not think that, you know, maybe Boston's shooting themselves in the foot a little bit here. How discouraging must it be, given what Curry did the other night and how they defended differently, yep. that they still come away and lose the game? I, th- I mean, it's got to be right, especially when you have like, like uh, Jordan Poole hitting shots. The you know the the highlight that you just played at the end of the third quarter. It's got to be. I, I would think mentally, at least, Ed, it's got to be pretty taxing looking at what happened. And think about this too, Ed. If you just go back to that box score of their starting five. Only one guy hit a three of their starting five, the Golden State Warriors. That was Clay Thompson, who had five of them. The rest of them went over, if you combined them all together. Gary Payton II was their best player in terms of plus-minus in that game in about 20, I think it was like 24, 25 minutes. I called that a quintessential Warriors game because you didn't need to rely on Steph like they had been through the first four games of this series. And it was just really solid defense, ball movement, and team effort. Andrew Wiggins in the first half and throughout that entire game, but specifically in the first half, Possessions look like they're going to die, right? Golden or Boston's playing really good defense. You get the ball to Andrew Wiggins on the elbow, and he hits a tough turnaround jumper with a hand in his face. He did that multiple times in the first half to give them a little bit of life. Draymond Green at the beginning of the game where he does that thing that he always does where he fakes the dribble handoff and goes to the basket and slams it. It was a Warriors game. So I think you got to feel pretty you feel pretty crappy. I mean, game four, you, you gave up 43 points, and it was not like an easy 43 points, and you lost that, and then you go back, and you're like, we're going to do this. We're going to hold them 0-9 for three-point range, and then lose by double digits. Like, it's got, it's got to be brutal. I know we made fun of the whole Steph's legacy. He doesn't have an NBA Finals or a Finals MVP. Uh, give me the hypothetical. How does it happen that the Warriors win the title and Curry doesn't win Finals MVP? Oh, it's pretty easy. Andrew Wiggins scores every single Warriors point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the path. I mean, like, like this. I, I've been wanting to make a joke about like somehow Curry awarded getting in awarded posthumously if that were to terribly happen, but I'm not going to do it. Like he's not he's not losing. He's not losing Finals MVP. The, I keep hearing a lot of like, hey, you know, Andrew Wiggins, eighteen to one. I'm like, I'll book it for you. Like, you just send me the money, I'll book it for you. Okay, man, I'll give you two hundred to one if you want it. Like, 
It's not happening. Curry, and you're seeing it reflected in the price, too, by the way. Uh, his price to win finals MVP mirrors essentially what you're looking at with the Warriors in terms of a, uh, a series price, which is about $3 or so. Like, yeah, he is going to win finals MVP, and there is no Warrior that is taking that from him in any way whatsoever. Is this a, a turnaround for Draymond Green? I thought it was, right? If you look at what he did in that game, Ed, like it was, it, again, you know, as we call it, he's made fun of for Mr. Triple Single. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, when you looked at, like, the, the productivity, when you have about, what, what do you finish up with, like, eight rebounds and assists, somewhere in that range, he goes over his points, rebounds, and assists prop just barely. He had 21 and a half, and I think he got 22. Um, but he was productive, and, and I think that's what you're looking for from Draymond Green. Like, he doesn't need to be, everybody makes fun of his single-digit points, but that's not the guy he needs to be. He needs to be exactly what he was the other night. Eight points, six assists, seven rebounds, a plus-minus, a plus-11. And, yeah, he fouled out, but he only committed two turnovers, and he was three of six from the floor. Like, that's what you need. You don't need him to go, what was it in game one, like two of 11 or whatever he was. You don't need him taking that many shots. And I think I came on and told you guys, like, just give me, like, four of six or three of six, and you'll be fine. And that's exactly what Green was. So, yes, I would say it was a turnaround. And, and also, there's a, what helped, too, was, Kevon Looney got in foul trouble, right? In that game, he only mm-hmm. play, ends up playing, I think, about 17 minutes or so. So they had to use Draymond more, and he stepped up, and it showed in his numbers. So I thought, yes, it was a really big turnaround for Draymond. Uh, Jason Tatum is going to play the most minutes in the postseason, unless he gets hurt or something, uh, yeah. of anybody in the last decade. And if it goes seven, he'll be over 1,000 most likely. Um, is that an explanation for what happened in the fourth quarter and maybe an explanation for what's happened to the Celtics in this series? Have they just played too many minutes throughout this postseason? I mean, I guess you could you could kind of paint it like that, right? Like, as the series has gone along, they have looked progressively a little bit worse and in these games. But here's the thing, Tyler. Before yesterday, uh, or before yesterday, all these days melt together, before Monday, um, they had won every fourth quarter, right? Or if they did they, no, the third, excuse me, game four, they lost the fourth quarter. That was the first fourth quarter they lost, so excuse me there. Uh, but, you know, they had been performing really well in fourth quarters for a majority of the series. I'll frame it that way uh, before what had happened. And you would think they'd start fading in some of those fourth quarters, but they hadn't. I think it, I think it is to a certain extent explained by what's going on. I also wonder what's going on with the shoulder. As we know that he is banged up with his shoulder and uh, is seen grabbing at it. And it's been bothering him since I think the Milwaukee series. So maybe that has something to do with it. But at the same time, like it doesn't explain when you refuse to drive to the basket and instead just, lazily get a shorter guy on you and you want to take a fadeaway jumper from him that's off balance right it, it doesn't really explain having the ball stick with you and not really making it move around when you have a guy in Jalen Brown who Jalen Brown like quietly in that game again started to be the spark plug for him in the third quarter what happens Brown gets to the free throw line immediately two times right at the start of the third quarter sparks their little bit of a run Tatum looks really good too but like Brown should be getting the ball more he should be at least assisting in terms of some of this offensive load. And it also doesn't explain other things like Marcus Smart wildly driving to the basket and throwing the ball over his head with no idea who is behind him and turning the ball over. So I think it's part of it, I would say. I mean, I don't want to sound like an old guy when I'm like, these guys are young. It shouldn't bother them. But when you're talking about two seven-game series against the likes of Milwaukee and Miami, two of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and then you're taking on another one of the best defensive teams in the NBA in Golden State and dragging this series out, i got to say it can't help. Uh, before we let you go, uh, what does Chris Wood do for the Dallas Mavericks? Uh, besides take them to a title? Like, <laughs> how, I, seriously, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if you guys know this or not. So Chris Wood has been like, like my favorite story. And I bring it up to Steve all the time whenever I'm on Cofield and Company. And I know that you guys remember. I, I just thought it, was, I thought it was so sad when not only just what happened with him in the draft, but the way that he was treated by some of the fan base out in UNLV. 
And you could clearly see that there was talent there. If he and by, by the way, he deserves some criticism. I'm not saying he, you know, he should not be criticized for the way his relationship with UW ended, uh, but to kind of dance on the grave of a kid who's trying to achieve one of his biggest goals in his life, and he gets completely dejected. But what he has done in terms of working and developing, and now getting traded for yes, a back end of the first round, but still, if I told you that day where he's got his head in his lap and he's crying because he didn't get drafted that soon this kid would get traded for a first-round pick and three players by the Dallas Mavericks who just made it to the Western Conference Finals, like, you'd be, you'd be shocked. You'd be really surprised. So I, I think it's a great story, man. He's, he's going to help him out a lot, and I, I really can't wait to see what's going to happen with him because I, I think he's a tremendous basketball player. Well, he is John Von Tobel. You can follow him on Twitter at MeJVT. John, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, John. Good to talk to you guys. Thank awesome you. Awesome stuff. Chris Wood. We'll get more into that trade a yeah. little bit later in the show, but going to the Dallas Mavericks yeah. could be fun there. Um, you got the Celtics winning a game tonight and forcing game seven? Well, I had them in six. I might as well have them in seven. Okay. Might I mean, you well. could Can't you could back. stick Can't, with no. you could stick with the games and say, ah, Warriors in six now. No. Okay. I will not do that. Okay. Sticking with the Celtics. Sticking with them. I, by the way, one thing I love about seven-game series that go like the distance when you have a game five and the team takes a three, two lead, it immediately becomes like series is over. That team is going to win the series. But yet as soon as like if Boston wins games, as soon as they win a game six, Oh, they're back. Oh yeah, yeah. Now here come the Celtics. It's great yeah. how we do that because we live on every single game. It's phenomenal. Coming up next. We'll jump a little bit more into the newest coach of the golden Knights. Uh, they've got some guys that have won the cup. So when your expectation is to do that, it certainly helps to have guys that have been there. Um, I like the fact that, there's a mix of veteran guys. There's you know young guys and and then those middle-aged guys that have been in the league and established. So uh, solid at every position. Um, big question mark from last year, obviously, was the health. And you know you you know with the summer to to sort of get yourself ready to go get healthy. That's the next thing that excites me. I think guys will be excited. Sometimes you know the start of the year, you're a veteran team. You know you got to push a little, but. I, I believe this group will be ready right from the get-go because of some of the injuries and and uh, and a longer summer. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. I do love playing up missing the postseason as, oh, it's a good thing, longer summer. It's always fun. More time off. They can yeah. rest up. We don't want to be get playing everyone now. healthy. Yeah, we don't want to be playing get now. healthy now. Why would you? It's definitely hurt the Tampa Bay Lightning the last few years. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they've come back awful. <laughs> so Bruce Cassidy uh, has his introductory press conference today to uh, become the new head coach of the Golden Knights. Uh, what do you think? Like the number one question for Bruce Cassidy is. Oh man, that's a great question. On what the question's going to be. Did you find a new voice? <laughs> Is your voice fresh? <laughs> well, he's the one. I will say this about him, though. I had a quote the other day where he said, I think I said yesterday, he said that in this new job, he is going to have to kind of reevaluate his messaging and how he goes about it. Now, he did say what won't change is that he's going to hold everyone accountable and you have to be held accountable if you're going to be any good. So maybe you ask him, what is, you know, can you expound on the messaging part? Like, what did you do wrong? 
Like, what? Why? Why do you have to find new messaging? Why do you have to have a fresh voice? I mean, he was based on what was said when he got fired in Boston. He was like basically kind of fired for being like too blunt with the players, especially it's, young ones, right? And like, they're the general manager in Boston said when they fired him, he's able to push the buttons that are necessary. But it takes its toll. Over the course of time, it takes its toll. You've got to find a way to either develop that message a little differently or the personnel changes and you cycle it out. Like, there's a level there of like, oh, he will work. But after a couple of years, everybody's going to hate this guy. So you got a little John Tortorella in him in that sense? I guess. I mean, he Tor- kind of, you know, that's the whole thing about Tortorella. Everyone says, well, he's got a shelf life because he just wears on guys. Tortorella, I think, has, um, at least reputation-wise, more of like an ass when he talks to the media about yeah, people. Yeah, no, I, right? I, I Whether it's to the media I, yes. or about his own players, I think right. Cassidy's just more blunt and straightforward. I think, he, I think part of it is he's, like, not really afraid to call out people in the media, too, like his own team. Be like, hey... They were supposed right. to do this, and they didn't do that. So I don't know what we're supposed right. to do. Like, I think he's he's got a little bit of that reputation, but not quite the John Tortorella level. Which, no, I meant like I meant the same in that you have a shelf life, right? Yeah, you know, you have if you're gonna if that's gonna be your messaging, like uh, like uh, Don Sweeney said, it takes its toll over time. And I think the the other key to the whole shelf life discussion, if they win the Stanley Cup next year. Well, his shelf life's going to be a lot longer exactly, exactly. because you're going to point back that and messaging is going to be the best messaging right, ever because it's pretty easy to point back and say, well, okay, yeah, we won the Stanley Cup. I like right. deal with it. But if you don't, and that's, you can maybe point to what happened in Boston, right? They kept sort of failing in the postseason. They only got deep one time. You look back and say, well, yeah, your, your messaging doesn't really help us go deep in the postseason. And it's all going to depend on if he wins it. Right. That's if, it. If he wins That's the Stanley it. Cup, we'll be talking about oh, great voice, great message. Yeah. Like he pushed the right buttons and nobody got tired of it right. because they, won. they won the Stanley Cup. So I'm I'm curious because it was so it, you don't often hear, hey, like we hear the cliche, his voice, we need a new voice, the whatever. But you don't often hear like, oh, he was too hard on young players. And even the veterans were like, dude, what's your problem? Right. right? You don't often hear that, and, and we heard that. We heard some of that from the actual general manager after he and fired. And in a way, him. him. Right. He, yeah, he didn't necessarily like, deny it. He didn't it deny anything. it. So it's weird to sort of hear that putting out, put out there, and then that guy gets hired a week later. What has changed? Like, was there a week-long reflection from Bruce Cassidy to be like, oh, this is what I need to do differently to change the messaging, or is it going to be the same Bruce Cassidy? Which, again, like we talked about yesterday, Tremendous regular season success. Yes. Tremendous. Terrific. And they did go to a cup final, so it's not like they were always just awful and lost early in the playoffs. It's not the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, but it's still a level of, okay, how do the... I think the big question is, how do the Golden Knights players respond to Bruce Cassidy? Yeah, absolutely. It's the main question. Is this a Bruce Cassidy yeah. comes in... They buy in right away, and this team is like, yep, we can win a cup, and this is what we need to put us over the top? Or is this a, yeah, we're a good team no matter what, dude. Like, calm down over there. Right. We don't, we, like, be curious to see. And in and, a veteran room, that will be more curious. Right. Because I don't know what they put up with. I assume that initially there's the buy-in, and it's like, sure. yep, let's do this. What happens if they get off to a bad Mid-season, start? Mid-season, they're yeah. in third place. Right. Then you start looking around and saying, well, huh. I could coach this guy's kind of tough. Yeah, this guy, whatever here. So, and especially you get into like year two and, you know, you lost in the first round in year one and you have some sort of lull in year two. Like 
That'll be the curious part here with Bruce Cassidy. The other part on hiring Bruce Cassidy that I'm curious, do you believe the Golden Knights needed a veteran head coach? I don't think it hurts because they are they are an older team. So you think that And that, I don't think a younger guy might have commanded the room right away like you think and I think that Bruce Cassidy will. So you think it 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 was a positive and maybe even a point in a the coaching search oh. to hire a guy well. that had Past NHL head coach. I don't even experience. want to guess what their what their point in their search was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. I don't even want to gander what that might be. Um, I just think that when he became available, he essentially shot to the top because there was a there was a relationship there. How he did in Boston in the regular season, um, I think he went right to the top. Whether he, you know, being a veteran, I I do think it helps uh, because it's a veteran room, and I think they will kind of deal with his stuff uh, more so than. Let's say it had been like a younger coach or a younger assistant getting his first time head job. I would have thought they'd be like, okay, well, then what was wrong with Pete? It's it's just a – the NHL is fascinating because I think more than any of our other sports, they recycle coaches all the time, right? Like there's only like 38 NHL head coaches and six of them won't have a job this year until somebody gets fired and then one of those six comes in right. and becomes the With coach. a fresh voice. Right, fresh voice. It's just – it's a fascinating sport where every time somebody gets fi- uh, fired, they talk about needing a new voice, but yet almost nobody ever actually hires a brand new voice. Right. It's always a voice that's been somewhere else, and people in Boston apparently got tired of it. So it's just interesting that you rarely have teams in the NHL being like, oh, we need a new voice. Let's get an actual new voice, somebody that hasn't done this at the NHL level right. before. Ah, no, we'll keep the guy that everybody got tired of in Boston.